Today, I have an award-winning American comedian who now lives in London. She is winner of Sydney Fringe's Comedy Award 2019 and the weekly winner Comedy Award in Perth Fringe World 2020. She is the founder and manager of the comedy club Laugh Train Home, currently online with the comedy for the curious now has she cracked zoom is she the master of zoom comedy i think so but let's find out more she's in love with her amicadala if you haven't worked out who she is now welcome everybody to robin perkins hello thank you so much <laughs> hi robin lovely to have you and i really appreciate you spending time with us so america to the uk what was that all about? How did you come over here? Um, I So in between doing biology and comedy, I did architecture and landscape architecture. And so I decided I came over to London just on a whim to work for uh, a really awesome designer and then fell in love with the city and stayed. So it was nothing related to comedy, sadly. Oh. <laughs> but you didn't just you didn't just qualify in landscape gardening architecture you qualify you got a graduated from harvard university with a master's in landscape architecture so you're not just oh i like a bit i like the old building but are british buildings better than american buildings i oh that that's controversial to answer <laughs> <laughs> Which is um, different. i think actually to be honest i prefer work i preferred working in europe um i think because from a design point of view there were bigger risks that were able to be taken i would say <laughs> now i know i feel like i but then again I, a part of me is like who am i gonna offend in the us by saying this uh, <laughs> but then again i uh, it's fine i i'm not in the industry anymore it's all good uh but yeah so so it's, i did landscape architecture which is primarily like public spaces is what i worked on um so it was like the Olympic games and like major plazas and hospitals and stuff like that. So, uh, but I do, I did find that they were able to be a bit more experimental over here. Uh, so yeah, that's my not too divisive answer. I hope. <laughs> so how did you then move from something so different to comedy? Um, so it's actually, uh, again, on a whim, I'm a very impulsive person. Um, I, yeah, basically I was, I was working in, um, in an office in central London and a colleague of mine was like, Hey, I'm going to do this comedy course. Does anybody want to do it with me? And I was like, Oh, that'd be fun. And I actually didn't even take the course with him because I was going to be in the States for the final, but decided that that is just something I was going to try. Uh, so I did Chris head, um, teaches a 10 week course. So I did that and I just fell in love with it. Like the first day that I grabbed a mic immediately, I was like, I am going to do this at some point in time for the rest of my life. So yeah, it's, it was completely on a whim. But I fell in love with it. <laughs> and then you set up your own, club was that just to because you found there was a, a gap in the market or because you just wanted more stage time um probably similar to the latter i 
because up until this point, for the first few years, you know, I was just doing sets. And then I wanted to learn how to MC and realized that the best way to learn how to MC is to have a regular night that you are MCing. So at the time I was living uh, in Clapham and uh, in between Clapham North and Clapham Common. And I left my house and I stopped in every single venue along Lavender Hill on the way to Clapham Junction to see if they had a function room and if they wanted comedy and found uh, the venue, which was at the time Battersea Mess and Music Hall, which has a huge history of comedy, but for some reason didn't have comedy there. So uh, the venue itself was the original Jonglers, first oh. ever Jonglers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So actually a lot of acts that play the, the club will walk in the front door and get a bit of PTSD being like, I've been here before and I don't know. Why. Um, but that they were in the upstairs room, but I think highlight ran a gig there. 99 club did. And so I started just running in the function room Trying. with Ben Morgan. Um, so yeah, and the two of us started together and then uh, he was living in Brighton at the time. And I, I think when I started the night again, I just, I wanted to learn how to MC and the pub did not support the night as much as they should. That pub didn't, um, or that owner did not. Um, but I also didn't know enough about the business of running comedy nights to fully appreciate how much of a gap in the market there was and how much Clapham Junction was changing in terms of its demographic. Um, and so it was a lot of things that were quite fortuitous about that is that it was running for a year and then the venue shut down to get renovated, um, completely switched hands. And then a friend of a friend who has nothing to like, the friend not, was not a comedy friend at all. It was just a friend that I had met randomly before I started comedy. Her friend took over managing the pub and they were like, we're going to have comedy. You're doing it. And he, that manager like really pushed me to develop the, the night to be what it was. Um, and that it's part of a chain, which is lanes who are super supportive. So they backed the whole thing financially. They have like, also went into it going, we're going to lose money for the first two or three years. And, but we believe in this and we know this can happen. And so that's kind of the evolution of laugh train home, <laughs> but okay. yeah, I know. So that was way more than you asked about, but I guess in short, I guess the, the one line answer is I, I started a night so I could learn how to MC. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's I'm not, I'm not talking to a lot of people right now. So this, this recording is going to take 15 hours. I hope you're ready. <laughs> Well, you um, and obviously with um, 2020 and lockdown, that didn't phase you at all, did you? You just went, oh, okay, let's get on. Because there's so many Zoom gigs out there. And we've, I mean, we've just found you, which is a sin, but we've seen a, quite a lot and never stuck. But this one, I mean, oh, should we get, should we, we went, oh, should we get the YouTube link? No, we can't do the competition. We have to go, we have to go live. You know? uh, but the, the guests you get on is, I mean, I'm, I love Bobby Mayer and, and Harriet anyway. That, so to have them on, not, not this weekend, but the weekend before. And Laura, I mean, you have some fantastic guests as well as yourself. So Thank you. you know, so, so what's your secret then to a good Zoom? Well, 
I mean, by the way, you say it didn't phase me. It did. Apparently, according to my girlfriend, I had a week of absolute breakdown and moping around the house uh, <laughs> when it all happened, going, my life is over. I have nothing left. Um, I have blocked that out of my memory, but she won't let it go. So I, <laughs> I wouldn't say seamless so much, but no, um, I'm... I know you just found us. I I think the show, like the show did develop. It wasn't great at the start. I think the first, the first two or three were not on Zoom and they were not great. We had a lot of tech problems, which is unfortunate. So the biggest advice like I could give is to have two or three dry runs with just family and friends or like just very close people going that aren't going to lose faith in you and then give up. Um, and then uh, I think from the summer is when we started the science comedy format and that's kind of developed into what it is now. So I think in kind of October ish is really when it started to hold together. Um, I think the secret, or I think the reason the, the thing that I want to hold on to the most in the zoom gigs is going, it's gotta be something that is still live or feels live because if you're just if if you're delivering something that could just be watched on as if you were youtubing it or you don't need to be a part of her you don't need to be live then you might as well just go on to netflix and watch dave Chappelle or somebody like super famous because if that's the experience that you're getting then then why do you need like my lighting that is is you know 80 percent of it does uh, my one camera angle i will say i say lighting my girlfriend's put a lot of time into the lighting it looks amazing but we have one camera angle i'll say that's what it you know like you might as well get 15 camera angles and like an audience of three thousand. um so i think the key is to make you feel like you're a part of it and that it matters so that makes me really happy that you're like no we have to be in the zoom because that's <laughs> That's what I want to feel. I want people to be like, no, we're actually at a show. We're not just streaming this. We are at a show. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But you, you, there were like 65, 66 links that you had into the Zoom, I think, last Sunday, because we were looking, because obviously yeah. we tried to research. But most of those were couples. So you have over 100 people tuning in for you on a Sunday night. Yeah, it's it's grown a lot this year, which I'm very proud of. Um, it's been, uh, yeah, we're very excited. Uh, sorry, that's my cat. Um, <laughs> who would like to be on the podcast, but she doesn't speak English, so it's fine. Um, no, it, it, last Sunday was our biggest show, actually. Uh, it was very, I was very excited about it. I mean, technically, I think Valentine's Day, we had sold more, but I think a lot of people bought two tickets. So we didn't have as many physically logged in. Um, but it has grown. And I think it's because since January, the show has stepped up a bit, like I've gotten better at delivering what I'm delivering. I think if that makes sense, and people are starting to actually tell their friends and tune in and, yeah. and we have regulars. So I'm very proud of it. <laughs> and I definitely think for all the listeners out there, if you're looking for a zoom comedy to watch, it's definitely worth trying. It's comedy for the curious. It's on at half past eight on Sunday evenings and definitely worth looking at. Even if you only do it once, you'll be hooked, I promise. Um, now, the other thing, you've worked, you've done comedy, not only in the UK and America, but you've also hit the Australian 
scene as well. Yeah. So, so um, in in good uh, Robin Parkin style, which is best? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is that's hard. Which are you um, ha- yeah, <laughs> which are you happiest working with? I think. Um, Festival-wise, I it's, I think there are just there there are advantages to both circuits because I mean in the UK you kind of have like the festival circuit and then you have the club circuit, um, and I so in Australia I have I mean I guess I have done both because I've yeah it's I think in the UK there is more opportunity to make a living on the club circuit and if you're because i'm i'm not somebody that has tv credits i am not famous so i feel like yeah uh, in the uk it's easier to make a living there because there is enough live comedy and people invest enough into going to watch live comedy that you can actually i mean it's not a great living um, but uh you know i survive on on performing alone um and in australia i feel like it's easier to make headway without tv credits which is lovely in the like i um i play the comedy store in sydney every time i go over to the to australia which is one of the best rooms i mean it's the best room i've found in in australia but i can't say that exclusively because I have not played them all um but it but I'm also very lucky in that it was a lot easier to get into like they I didn't I felt like there weren't there wasn't politics to get into it and that is not a direct comparison to the comedy store over here because the comedy store over here has actually been really great about like giving me tryouts watching and giving feedback getting in there and like and I feel like I'm actually have a progression track and I'm actually getting somewhere but some of the clubs I feel like I can't even get tryouts at because I don't have an agent and I don't have tv credits and that's really frustrating um so I feel like there is a big barrier there because I don't have enough people fighting in my corner and it's not about my talent so I think that was kind of the biggest difference like some clubs absolutely but I remember one club put out like we're looking for more female comics like anybody that hasn't ever played for us we just like we would love to see like they were just it was just an unpaid 10 spot and I just remember seeing that going look I am playing all of these clubs this is my job you've never seen like there aren't like I'm like how many people at my level <laughs> do you because it's a very well-known club and then just to not even get a response being like no like is it that kind of thing is disheartening going i don't understand why i'm not even in the running to do an unpaid 10 minute spot when i'm doing paid work at all these other places um so i think that was a big difference between the two is that i felt like there was a bigger barrier to entry based on politics um in terms of festivals between the two countries uh that's interesting i love i mean i love edinburgh with like all of my heart i absolutely love it and i've done edinburgh in a few different ways i've done the paid fringe i've done free festival uh i've both made money at the fringe and lost a lot of money at the fringe (laughs) i've I've done it both ways um 
And again, Australia, I found as my, the first year I did Perth, I loved it. I actually made money. It was fantastic. The second year was a bit harder, but I think that was a situation based on my venue had an alcohol licensing issue that kind of backfired. But, um, but equally I felt like, again, it was, e I don't want to say easier to get recognition, but I feel like in Edinburgh, I had, uh, I worked with Gabby Gerard, who's one of the best PRs in Edinburgh and I got two reviews. <laughs> And I went over to Perth and had about five and those were, I didn't have a PR. I had me sending emails like that's it. And I had a friend of mine send a bunch of emails from a laugh train home email going, this is Robin. And I ended up on the news. Like, so it's just a bit, it's a different circuit. And it also could be because when I go to Australia, I'm doubly exotic because I'm both American and British, you know, like I have the double whammy of like, she's international. Let's talk to her. Whereas over here, not only am I a British citizen, but I'm like, I'm not American enough to be visiting. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm almost like American in a bad way. Like, Oh, not only is she American, but she's like one of us. She's not even like visiting American. <laughs> so, uh, so I feel like it's just been really hard breaking through and, the show that I did in 2019 mating selection was I, like, I, it was an amazing show. Like I, it's, which is hard for me to be that confident about it, but it was, it was amazing. And Chortle, I got four stars from Chortle, which is hard from Chortle. And I just felt like I wasn't seen, <laughs> like I wasn't seen. I sold out one Saturday and that was, and so that was, it was frustrating to have the quality, but not get any sort of visibility mm -hmm. um like before i went to australia i did that show at the bill murray and um a friend of mine who laura mocha she wrote she's an author she wrote love factually which uh the show mating selection tells a true story of my experience on a live dating show but it also combines like the science of love with my personal experience. So it's very much melding my science comedy with, um, with personal experience and the whole show incorporates in like a live experiment and the audience are voting throughout and the data gets entered into Excel live on stage. And so every show is different and it's like, it's a great story. She came to see it, but she also brought a friend and afterwards, apparently um, the friend is the wife of a TV producer and she was just, Afterwards, Laura was like, I didn't want to tell you who she was because I didn't want you to be nervous. But afterwards, uh, she was like, we went up to Edinburgh searching for new talent and just saw shows constantly for two weeks. And this was better than anything I saw hands down. And so on one hand, you're like, that's an amazing compliment. Like, thank you. But on the other hand, it's really frustrating that I'm like, I had the best PR. I, you know, was with Bound and Gagged. I was in a paid venue. I got four stars from Chortle and yet... I just can't get people seeing me. So I think that was kind of the biggest difference between Australia and the UK is, is I feel like I'm hitting a wall of what I can do and what I can accomplish. So what makes you laugh? Is it male comedians or female comedians? <laughs> oh, uh, but like it, I, it, I don't think that I'm tied to gender. I think it's, um, 
content. Yeah. If they make you laugh, they make you laugh. They make me laugh, they make me laugh. It's definitely a content, not a gender thing. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah. But usually people that make me laugh are people that will uh, have more substance. And, but also I really love goofy comedy. Um, Like Ian Smith is one of my favorite comics. Do you guys know Ian Smith? He is, oh, he's, um, he's Northern, but he just has such a silly comedy. I just, I love it so much. So it's just it's very clever it's clever and silly at the same time so so when you were growing up what about the comedians did you watch comedians did any particular comedian inspire you or it's just you've made it up as you go along <laughs> um yeah I don't want to so back what I said I went to this comedy course uh on a whim I we we had this moment at the first day of class that we had to go around and say our name and our favorite comic and up until that point in time I had probably seen live comedy less than 10 times in my life like I just I like I just didn't my parents didn't watch it it's not something that was part of our life so it's kind of embarrassing to know like I had a I had a note in my phone for the first like four years of comedy every time somebody would mention somebody that I really should have known who they was I'd write down their name and go and look them up um but also uh so back when I was doing marine biology I was in Grand Cayman doing coral reef research I was like 17 or 18 uh but I remember on the last night we were there we went to a comedy club and again, this is it point in my life when I was like, I'm going to be a marine biologist. Everything I do is going to be marine biology. And we actually ended up seeing Mitch Hedberg live from Grand Cayman, who it is phenomenal. But I also it, it was right before he died. And so it was really amazing to have seen him live. And I also had no idea how special that was. <laughs> Like there's a lot of people who are like, what the fuck? Like I was, we were in the second or third row. We were like there in this yeah. theater in Grand Cayman. And I still remember um, some of the jokes that he did. Like it was that but amazing it, yeah. of a set. It was that good that I actually remember physical jokes from 1998, I think. <laughs> like that long ago that I'm like, that is impressive. Um, so I've always remembered that he is could not get further from my style. I feel like, <laughs> but at the same time, uh, I do love his work, and we'll always remember that. I've watched quite a few of your videos, and people do. Your clubs are crowded, and you do have a particular style, and you're very quick to react to different people. But the science you bring science into a lot of your comedy, don't you? You love it. I do. I love, I love science. I, for, I say this at the beginning of comedy for the curious, it wasn't always, it didn't always do that. I've always loved science and research, but for some reason I didn't really embrace combining the two. So for the first five years of me doing comedy, it was just dating stories. Like it was just, it was just, I say like it's primarily dick jokes, really. Um, (laughs) my parents, my dad was not happy about it. Um, and it was actually 
so hot water comedy club in liverpool um the so binti is a good friend of mine and i believe it was what 2015 it must have been right around then um for three or four days i went up to liverpool and binti and i designed the seal street club together and at the time it was just cement floor i-beams and just spent three or four days up there drawing it. So I still have all the sketches from the plan. And then right before I left, we took spray paint and just marked out everything on the floor and they built it from that. Um, and so while I was spending three or four days with Binti, he, and so obviously we're talking a lot, we're spending 24 hours a day together designing this. And he was like, no offense, but like you are way more interesting than your comedy lets on. <laughs> and I was like, Oh yeah, because I am. I'm just sitting here talking about like some Tinder date, and I have just uh, years and years of experience of research. And I think at that point in time, I was like, I should probably um, hold on my uh, hold on my sorry, my Alexa just went off. I just didn't know if you can hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't hear it. Okay, lovely. Um, so yeah, basically uh, after that, I was like, I should probably combine like bring the science and embrace that a bit more um so that's i've started doing that and in the solo shows that i did before lockdown it was very much it's probably about 60 percent personal anecdote but then using science to explain it like this happened to me and why did i make that decision so the first show was called Ten Thousand decisions and it's me going this is a horrible decision i made let me look into why like, what is the neuroscience behind decision-making? What parts of your brain go into decision-making? Why did I make that decision and not this one? Um, and yeah, and the second one is all about the science of dating. And then when lockdown started, uh, I, I've i always wanted to, to do a show like Comedy for the Curious. And uh, I finally just did it. I was like, I've got time. I've got a platform. I'm never going to have this again. And... So I love it. And you I truly are it. global because you have people from, it's not just the UK who watch you. They're tuning in from America. They're tuning in from Australia. So you've obviously yeah. got a fan base out there. Um, <laughs> they we do. And <laughs> now you have us. Um, yeah. so. It's very exciting. Thank you. <laughs> I know. I don't have, I don't have a ton of people in every country. I got one from Brazil. Very exciting. So I've, I've broken into the Sao Paulo <laughs> market. One girl. <laughs> <laughs> you only need one and then it just goes it'll go like wildfire yeah. now 2020 was a good year for you because you actually got engaged i did get engaged it's so, very exciting <laughs> so tell me tell me how how romantic was that it was it was so the story is kind of funny she um so she's a tech and we met in edinburgh 2018 because she was working at the venue that I had a show in and I had a big crush on her and she had no idea. And so the whole fringe, I thought I was flirting with her. Apparently I was not <laughs> uh, <laughs> like not even a little bit. There is a friend in our Edinburgh flat was um, recording for like, basically our lounge was constantly on video because she was recording for a documentary. Mm -hmm. So there is like a half an hour of footage of me and three of my flatmates in Edinburgh trying to compose a flirtatious email to Caitlin to let her know that I liked her. 
and she didn't know I was flirting, didn't even reply to the email because she was like, oh, there's no need to. Um, and then we were trying to get together to hang out for almost a year. And I then gave up because I was like, clearly she's not interested. And then eventually got together July of 2019. She came to a preview of mine. Um, and so we became official of August, 2019. And then between August, 2019 and March, March of 2020, I was out of the country for three or four months. And then we moved in together, uh, in March. And it's, I mean, as you guys, I'm sure are aware when you live with somebody in lockdown, it becomes, it's either all or nothing. You either become so much closer or yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> I'm and I record in different rooms because we we believe <laughs> we believe in social distancing, even in the house. No. Oh, that's it's <laughs> great that you're so safe and thoughtful. <laughs> oh, amazing. But yeah, so she it was uh she proposed uh it was December nineteenth. And she had had this whole thing planned at the evening. She built a pergola in the backyard. She had lights and we were going to make s'mores and champagne. And at four o'clock in the afternoon, uh, Boris canceled Christmas. And so we uh, were needed to like, we needed to go up to Wales to do something for her mom before everything got shut. So, so she quickly proposed and then was like, here's that champagne that we can't drink. Let's go in the car. So it was very sweet oh. though. <laughs> so, but that, 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 so that's, but that's memorable. It <laughs> is memorable. It, it is, is memorable. So she, she, did, she, she delivered a moment. <laughs> so the only other thing I have here is that you were actually on a reality TV show doing board game Smackdown. So board <laughs> game, a board game something that you're uh, keen on or is it, how did that happen? Um, so James Cook runs board game Smackdown. He is uh, it, like the, it's a great show. I am ridiculously competitive, like just because my family I've realized recently, um, that my family doesn't really talk about emotions. We just play games. That's like what we do. We get together, we play a game. So I've been raised to be very competitive. Um, so Board Game Smackdown, I think James started it at The Fringe, where it's comedians playing board games against each other. It It's more fun than it sounds um, to watch, I think. And, but it's, yeah, it's amazingly fun. Um, and so he decided to create the world series and so there were eight of us that started and every game somebody gets eliminated so basically the loser of the board game chooses one other player to go into an elimination round and whoever loses the elimination round is out of the game so we started at eight whittled down to the final um and it was just so fun it's so fun to play because and the lineup was incredible you had uh jared christmas and laura lex aaron twitchin jenny collier collier um lindsey santero um john wagstaff chris stokes and um am i missing somebody i don't know how many i've named but incredible lineup and it was just very fun but it got very harsh and very intense <laughs> <laughs> like very intense there were alliances because there were also no rules so james 
orchestrated the thing so amazingly. He had all these twists and turns that he put into it um, and was like selling clues to some of the games. Um, there was one where like he had a camel cup, which is basically you roll the dice a bunch to see like how the camels move across the board. It's a race. And then uh, you're betting on the race. So he had pre-rolled all of the dice to uh and then gave us all clues it was just it was beautifully done it would be an amazing reality tv show uh but it was a reality internet show i guess yeah huh. it was awesome <laughs> <laughs> so much fun and uh thank you very much robin that's been a really insightful and brilliant thank you and people out there make sure you tune into comedy for the curious on sunday evenings Thank you very much for listening and thank you, Robin. Cheers. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs>